course, in light of our theme on uh, sheep and shepherds, makes me wonder if I should have had us read from Psalm 23, but there was a reason I had from Psalm 119, which hopefully will become clear. Um, we're in John 21. If you can turn there. Uh, we've only got a, three verses this morning, 15 through 17. Um, for those of you who are thinking today would be the day that we would finish uh, the sermon series on John. Sorry, not yet. Um, next week is the week where we finish that up. Um, and then just so that you know what, what we're, where we're kind of going next, um, we're going to go back to the Psalms uh, through the summer. Um, not sure what's going to happen while I'm gone, but um, maybe I'll encourage them to do some Psalms too. Um, and then when we restart things in... Uh, Actually, I think in September is when I'm going to start uh, Esther. We're going to do a uh, sermon series on Esther, and then my long-term goal starting the new year would be uh, 1 Peter. So now you know what's going to happen. But we've got to finish with John first. So, 15 through 17. <clears throat> and when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to Simon a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Let's pray. Father, we are indeed uh, the sheep of Christ's pasture. We are ones who have heard his voice, and we have come to the Good Shepherd. We are among those for whom he laid down his life and picked it up again. Now, Father, that's not all. We still need to be fed and nurtured in Jesus this morning. We need to be fed and nurtured by his word given through not just John, but also by the Holy Spirit. And so, by that same Spirit, give us the spiritual nutrition we need to grow strong in Jesus. Satisfy us in Him this morning. It's in His name we pray. Amen. One of the great mysteries, shall we say, of ministry is that within five years of ministry, approximately 40 to 50% of young men drop out of ministry. They've put their hand to the plow, and then they turn back. The great question is sort of why there so many of them leave ministry in such a short period of time. What is going on? As I ponder this in light of this text, I see that oftentimes they have wrong motives. 
they could have a wrong focus or they could utilize the wrong means. But as we think about this passage in John and how he, Jesus is speaking to Peter, let us not just sort of limit this to pastors, but really to think about this in terms of as applying not just to them, but also to all those who do seek to undertake some form of ministry, whether it's teaching Sunday school, being an elder, leading a Bible study or community group. There's all kinds of ways in which we serve Christ and his people, and all of these are affected by what we see here in John 21. The big idea is that Jesus sends people who love him to nurture his sheep. But before we get to the text itself, there's a question that has to be answered, and that question is, what in the world is going on here? Okay, because this is actually a very controversial passage. Why is it controversial? It's controversial in part because of how it is used by the Roman Catholic Church. As they look at this passage, what they see here is different than what I see here. What they see here is that uh, Peter is now installed as the head of the apostles. And so they look at this text and they use this as one of their proof texts for the reality of Peter as Pope and therefore his successors also as popes. The context, however, of this passage seems to indicate that this is not about that, but rather about his restoration to the number of apostles after his threefold denial of Jesus by a similar charcoal fire in the dark of night when Jesus was on trial. And so if we keep this within the context of John, it takes on a very different flavor and purpose, I think, than if we kind of rip it out of its context and try to use it for something else. Yet, as I mentioned, his words to Peter also would have application to all who have been sent out by Jesus. They're not just meant to be for Peter, okay? Not just for the apostles, not just for pastors, but for all of his people who, like Jesus, have been sent into the world to do his work. And so let's get to those three things I talked about, the first of which is the motive of ministry. And the motive of ministry, according to this text, it ought to be love and humility. You see, let's remember what's happened here. Jesus has shown up. He showed them uh, in, a, in a very, I think, powerful way that without him, they can do nothing. That what he taught them in John 15 is now made glaringly evident to them as they sought to go fishing and caught absolutely nothing. And then upon Jesus' instruction, they cast in the net in a particular place and have a catch that they can't bring in. They then have a quiet breakfast. No one seems to want to talk about the elephant in the room. They don't want to seem to talk about anything, actually, over this very quiet breakfast. This is not a breakfast that takes place in my house, I assure you. <clears throat> but finally, Jesus is the one who, who identifies and brings up the elephant in the room, and that is Peter and Peter's denial. 
to this point, even though Jesus has appeared to the disciples a couple of times, that's really been glossed over. We see that he dealt on other issues, dealing more with the reality of his resurrection at first, both for most of the disciples and then, then for Thomas, who wasn't so sure about all of this. But now Jesus gets to Peter. They exchange that look in the garden uh, during the trial. And Peter left in tears because of his denial of Jesus. And so Jesus starts off with Simon, son of John, or Jonah. Do you love me more than these? This is really interesting, and I don't have an answer for this question, but this is kind of how my brain works. Why does he use his given name? He had already talked about him as, you know, called him the name Peter for rock. Why does he call him Simon, ignore the Peter, and why does he bring in his lineage that he is the son of Jonah or John? We don't know. There's really no, I think, good answer, but we see Jesus speaking to him, clarifying these things. But then at the end, there is this very vague phrase, do you love me, which is clear, more than these, which is not. These. This is the first time uh, of three that Jesus will ask whether Simon loves him. This first time he adds that extension more than these, and that that phrase is actually very vague because we don't know what the these is. Okay? There are some options that are given to us as to what the these refers to. It could refer to the other disciples. Do you love me more than you love these guys? It could refer, since they had, he had just gone fishing, uh, do you love me more than these things, the nets and the boats, the thrill of bringing up a big catch, perhaps? Do you love me more than these? And while these are four uh, seemingly interesting answers, I don't think they get to the heart of it, particularly when we think of why he's engaging in this conversation He's engaging in this conversation because of Peter's denial, but what happened before Peter's denial? Peter's the one who said, I'm going to lay down my life for you, Jesus. In 13, verse 37, he had boasted that he would die with and possibly for Jesus. He had boasted of a superior love. And so I think the question really gets back to that. Do you love me more than, essentially, these men do? Are you still convinced, Peter, that your love for me is greater than other people's love for me? Three times he essentially asks him this question. We could focus on the change in the verb used for love. That's, I don't think, quite as important as what's going on, uh, really going on here. We see that Peter is humbled by this question. Yes, 
you know. And if I could bring in a little bit of grammar, the know is actually a perfect tense verb. And so if it were up to me, if I was on a translation committee, I would have translated that, yes, you have known. Because Peter's, remember, Peter's bold, prideful boast was met with Jesus saying, actually, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And so I think he's referring to that. You have known Jesus. You have known that I love you, but you've also known that my love is weak. Peter is humbled. He now knows the frailty of the love that he has for Christ. When Jesus asks the third time, he's grieved. Now let us remember this. Jesus is not condemning him. He's actually reinstating him to the class of apostles, so to speak. And there's a sense in which I see Galatians 6 in here. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Jesus is restoring him in a spirit of gentleness. And now to Peter, it doesn't necessarily feel gentle. Okay? We see that in the fact that he's grieved One time, he's asked, for each time, he denied. It feels painful for him. But Jesus is also being gentle with him. Sometimes we see that Jesus wounds us for our good. Just as the proverb says, the the wounds of a friend are faithful. But Jesus is not condemning Peter, and He does not condemn us, but neither does He ignore the transgressions. And so there is the wound that happens. This is not like Shrek, when Donkey says, cuts me deep, Shrek. Precisely because Shrek intended to harm Donkey, to push him away, to keep him away. But Jesus is actually here inviting Peter closer. But it still cuts. It still cuts deep. The reason I had Mike read from Psalm 119 is that idea of affliction, the idea that he was afflicted for his own good, precisely because Peter needed to be humbled. Sometimes we need to sin, in a sense, in order that we might be humbled that we might recognize what we really are. Because when we operate out of pride, when we don't recognize who we really are, we do far more damage than we do even as sinners. Or simple sinners, shall we say, to clarify. So it humbled him. It was good for him to be afflicted in this way, precisely because now Peter is better able to do ministry than he was when he was the boastful one. But the focus here is also on love. 
as Peter says, you know or have known, I love you. We hear the call, so to speak, from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And Peter's recognizing that while he loves the Lord Jesus, he doesn't necessarily love Him with all that He is, with all that He should love Him. The weakness of His love was revealed. But so is the enduring quality of Jesus' love for His disciples. Jesus did not treat Peter as his sin deserved, but He continued to love him. And so ministry, that which, is, which Jesus is calling Peter to and calling us to, is really a, a product of humble love. We are intended to serve Jesus out of love for Him, even in the midst of our weakness. Ministry is not about our strength. Ministry is not about our wisdom. Ministry is not about our power, but it really is driven by a humble love for Him. We are not many messiahs. We are not essential to the task. Okay? But we are useful to the task when it is done out of love. He who loves his own life more than he loves Christ is the one who will shrink back, the one who will give up, the one who will bolt. I was reminded, I'm not sure how I was reminded, maybe it's because my nephew is going to go into the army soon, but I was reminded of a book I read last summer um, about a Green Beret by the name of Benavides who uh, ended up getting the Medal of Honor. And what had happened was he awoke from his sleep and discovered that a uh, mission had gone very bad in Cambodia. And he decided to go join the people in the rescue effort. He was not asked. He willingly volunteered. In fact, I would say he was a little foolhardy because he wasn't loaded up with his gear. He had a little bit of uh, medical provisions. He had his Tabasco sauce from breakfast. Don't go anywhere without your Tabasco sauce, apparently. And his knife. He did not have any other weapons with him. He didn't have any ammo. He's going into to rescue men who are surrounded by a division of Viet Cong, and he has a knife. That doesn't seem very bright. Okay. He did not love himself more than he loved them. And so he willingly went into the firefight to rescue these men. Okay? He was wounded, uh, I can't even understand, 37 times in the course of this rescue, which was successful. Finally, he was given the Medal of Honor by President Reagan. If he had thought about his love for self, he never would have gone because it was too dangerous. And so as we think about ministry, we have to be driven by a love 
that is greater than our love for ourselves. Precisely because ministry is difficult, even if it's just teaching Sunday school. There's hours that are missed. Hours that you would rather do something else with. There is a sacrifice involved even in the simplest ministries. And when we love ourselves too much, or more than we love Jesus, we find lots of reasons not to engage in ministry. Let's not think that this is an attempt to chastise you. I'm not trying to do that. Because ministry motivated by guilt is not going to be effective ministry. Okay? So what has to happen? We have to remember that this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John chapter 4. We see also uh, the idea that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5, that it's not circumcision or uncircumcision that matters, but faith expressing itself in love. And so ministry is largely about love. A practical expression of the love that a person has for Christ. That is how men withstand ministry for more than five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years. But the love that they have for Christ is only comes as they meditate upon Christ's unchanging love for them. So maybe if you're one of those people who's been engaged in ministry, you know, Sunday school year is almost done, right? <laughs> Some of you are tired. Maybe it's time to spend some time contemplating the incredible love of Jesus for sinners such as us that resulted in his death upon the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, the love that sent him there that it might feed our love for him. Let us remember that even if we have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, Paul said, if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Love. It's that thing we must must grow in by looking to Jesus, who is the fountain of love the eternal source of love, that we might grow in love. And so the motive for God-pleasing ministry is love for Christ as well as humility in our weakness. Second thing is focus of ministry, and the focus of ministry is His sheep. Jesus affirms essentially Peter's love for Him. He, He each time repeats Peter's call with some variation. Just as there was a variation in his question, so now there is a variation in his answer or response to Peter. We go from feed my lambs to tend my sheep to feed my sheep. Let's focus before we hit uh, feeding and tending to sheep or lambs, the direct object in each of these. Peter's call was to the sheep It was to those who know and listen to the voice of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. 
Those are the people to whom Peter is called. He's called, first off, to issue the call so they hear the voice of Jesus in Peter's preaching and respond and come into the flock. He's to gather the sheep as well as tend the sheep. But again, it's all about the sheep. These are the ones that the Father gave to Jesus, the eternal Son. These are the ones for whom Jesus laid down His life. And so, as we consider this and and the call to the sheep, we must remember that some of those that we minister to include those who might look like goats today, but might respond to the gospel call next week. We are to minister to the sheep. The first word that he uses is lambs, however, because some of these sheep are young, some of these sheep are fragile. That's the idea of the lamb. The Pixleys are about to get chickens. We talked a little bit before the worship service about because my father-in-law loves to buy chickens for my sister-in-law. And sometimes he gets the new eggs, you know, ready to hatch. And so I was curious, what stage of life are you going to get these chickens for your new chicken coop? Because young ones are fragile. Young lambs are fragile. Some of the people that you will minister to are older and stronger, and some are going to be young and fragile. We cannot treat them all the same. I cannot treat my five-year-old as if he was 15. I cannot treat him as if he were 25 or 35. I have to remember that he's 5'5". Five, five. Okay? And not expect him to be something he's not. And so there's an element of ministry that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5. And we, were, we urge you, brothers, okay, he's not talking to the pastors, he's talking to the whole church. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. And so part of what Paul is laying out here is that different people do have different needs and therefore our response to them is to be different. There's supposed to be patience that is a foundation for ministry to all people, but I need to be patient as I admonish the idle. I need to be patient as I encourage the faint-hearted. I need to be patient as I help the weak, and so must you. This gets back to the idea that this some people require more attention. They require more love and more compassion, more patience. There's a reality of immaturity within Christians. When or people are born again, they might be 35 years old, but that doesn't mean they're going to act like a 35-year-old Christian. They're a brand new baby Christian. And so we have to keep in mind that very thing and know that they are going to be like a one-year-old Christian. And the immaturity as a Christian means often that uh, you are on a roller coaster ride. Everything is epic. 
whether the successes, those mountaintop experiences at the retreats or whatever, or when you're in the valley. Because there's a sin that you struggle with, or there's some affliction that happens, and so you're just going up and down and up and down. And there's not the stability yet that is provided by a strong grasp and understanding of the doctrine of justification that we are accepted completely and fully and forever because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us. And so that when I sin, while I should repent, it doesn't mean that I've lost my faith. I don't have to go down into the cellar of despair because I've sinned or because I'm afflicted. When I'm going through difficulty, it doesn't mean God hates me and has a horrible plan for my life, but it means He's purifying me. But when we're immature, we misinterpret our circumstances. And we overreact. I remember those days when I was a young Christian, when I was 20. I was a basket case. Some of you might think I still am. I'm not as much of a basket case as I used to be. Okay? called maturity, being able to deal with the highs and the lows better. So bringing people to maturity out of the lambdom and into the adult sheepdom is an important thing. I also want us to call attention to the fact that the possessive pronoun that is there, my sheep, they're the sheep of Jesus. They're not our sheep. Pastors and Sunday school teachers and elders are stewards, not owners. Our blood has not been shed for the sheep. And we need to remember that. Every so often I get a phone call. I got one this week. I got the phone. Are you the owner of the business? I get these periodically. I'm sorry. We're a church. Jesus is the owner. That's usually what I tell them. And they don't know what to say. One day, I'm going to have a gospel conversation over this. I'm telling you. I'm praying for it. Okay? That someone will kind of go, I haven't heard that before. Can you tell me more? One day. Lord, please. Uh, They usually just kind of realize that we're a church and we don't do businessy kind of things. And so they go, oh, thank you very much and have a nice day. The church belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to the pastor or the elders or the deacons or any of you. It belongs to Jesus. And we do well to remember that. That they are not our disciples. That we are temporary. We are not permanent. Jesus is the permanent addition to their lives, not us. Some of you will outlive me. You'll stay here longer than I'll be here, although I have no intention of leaving. But it's Jesus who's the one who's permanent. That's uh, driven home yesterday. As we heard of uh, the accident down on Gulf Links, we knew people who knew the people. And it's devastating. 
how quickly life can change. And so we need to remember that it is Christ who is the permanent shepherd and who loves the sheep more than any pastor could ever love the sheep. That is good. And so ministry is directed toward His sheep, that we love and serve them precisely because we love and serve Him. Third thing, the means of ministry. Shepherd and nurture. This is the question of what Peter was supposed to do with the sheep. He was supposed to feed and tend those sheep. That's how those two verbs are often translated. They can also contain that idea of shepherding and nurturing. Okay, We'll get into a distinction in that in just a few minutes. But we see that ministry is ultimately meeting the particular needs of the sheep so that they grow strong in Christ. Feed, in many ways, is sort of simple. But let's remember, this is not about pastures. This is about word and sacrament. We see the importance of the ministry of the word and what we read from Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. Paul encouraged Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out, rebuke, reprove, exhort with complete patience. There's that patience thing again. Pastors are not very patient people, I'll tell you. So Paul needs to keep saying patient. And teaching. The diet of the Christian is intended to be the Word of God. The Word preached, the Word read, the Word prayed, the Word sung, the Word and sacrament as well. The Word. We are, we are to fill people not simply with information, but we are to seek to fill people with Christ by applying the truth to their particular circumstances. One of the things I appreciate about John Frame is that some of you, if you've taken the membership class, you've heard this triperspectivalism, big word, don't worry about it. All it means is three perspectives. That's it. There you go. You got it. That when we, when we think of God's Word, there is, there's a sense in which there are three perspectives. We want to understand the Word itself, but we also want to understand ourself in light of the Word. Who am I? What is this saying about me in terms of what I should be and shouldn't be? There's also, what does the Word say about my circumstances or my situation? And so when we're bringing people to the Word, we're applying God's standard, God's teaching, the Gospel, the work of Christ, to us, to the people, so that God is changing them but we also apply it to the circumstances they find themselves in so that perhaps there are changes in circumstances that might need to be made or there might be changes in responses to those circumstances. Sometimes you can't change the circumstances. 
but we can change our response to the circumstances in accordance with God's Word. And so ministry is largely doing those things. It's not just giving you information about what the Scripture says, but hopefully what I'm doing and what we're, we're doing here at Desert is also talking about who you are and talking about your circumstances in light of who you are and what the Word says and all that fun stuff. Okay? That's nurture. That's helping people to grow and not just giving them information, but it's showing them how to use the information and how the information pertains to them. And so intellectual stimulation is not sufficient. Pastoring is far more than information transfer. And we're to do this all in a way that points people to Jesus who is the one who alone can sustain them. Jesus then uses a word that can mean shepherd, to tend, or to nurture. And it has the idea of proper food. I don't think a good mother gives, or a good parent, I don't want to pick on moms, that a good parent gives their children a steady diet of Twinkies. Okay, There may be a Twinkie here and there, but I don't think you plan to give your children Twinkies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay, Neither do you give your children ingredients. Okay, The other night I made pizza. Okay, I, but I didn't, you know, just set out on the table, well, you know, here's a packet of yeast, uh, here's some, some flour, uh, here's a bunch of cheese, we had like five different kinds of cheese, so here's five different kinds of cheese, here's some pepperoni, uh, here's some olive oil, enjoy dinner. Oh, you gotta mix all those things together at the proper time and in the proper way so that you actually have pizza, okay? We're not just meant to provide ingredients to people. We're intended to provide meals for people. Good meals, healthy meals. My kids, we're fortunate. My kids actually like some vegetables, unlike some of our friends who will go nameless right now. Okay, They like veggies. And so the diet that sometimes we want is not necessarily the diet we should eat. I love Pringles. I see two cans of Pringles over there right now. As my wife will tell me, they are bad for me. They are bad for my blood pressure. They're bad for my waistline. They're bad. Bad Pringles. Steve was not meant to live on Pringles. And neither were you. Okay? And so we need to seek out the food that will sustain us through difficulty. Part of what Paul talked about there in 2 Timothy was people seeking out teachers who basically scratch the itch of their desires. What we need is food that will sustain us through ministry and real life. That's the idea that Jesus conveys with the idea, uh, the word about shepherding, nurturing. That applying the truth of Christ to the needs of the sheep 
so that they can understand and begin to apply those things. We just don't dump a commentary on them. We love them and talk to them through these things. Sometimes I'll lend you books, but hopefully I'm doing more than lending you books. Right? Talking with you. And so in order to do this, we must know the Word. We must know the sheep. We must know the sheep's circumstances and bring the Gospel to bear as a result. So anyway, most men and lay women leave ministry because they have wrong motives or they have wrong understanding of ministry. Those who serve from pride are soon broken on the rocks of failed ministry. Others can flounder about uselessly because they confuse knowledge with maturity. Jesus is here redirecting Peter and us to recognize love for Christ as the primary motive for lasting ministry to other people. That this love is directed towards Christ's sheep, including the lambs that can be so fragile and we need to be very careful of. And that those sheep need us to feed and to nurture them. And so this is about growth that is rooted in Christ so they become more like Christ. That's what He's sending Peter to do. That's what He's sending us to do. Let's pray. Father, we think of ministry and we should go. There's a sense in which we need to be very honest about our fears, our inadequacies before You, not to make excuses like Moses did, but that those are the places we are trusting You. Father, continue to purify us. Continue to purify us in such a way that we grow in our love for You and for Jesus and for the Holy Spirit so that when we serve, it is out of love for You. So that when it's difficult, we stay in there because we love You. And so help us to grow in our love for You. Help us, Father, to identify the other sheep that You want us to minister to. Give us eyes to see who they are, not just by their name, but what they're like. Where they struggle. Where we need to come and admonish. Where we need to come and strengthen. Where we need to come and encourage and help. Help us to know one another's circumstances so we can get involved when we need to and stand back when we need to and all of that stuff. Father, give us wisdom that we would be a church that increasingly ministers in a healthier and healthier fashion. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.